So, so it, and it's just me. I don't have two brothers. It's just me. I had that question one time. Somebody asked me if I was a triplet, and I said no. Um, I, I showed that commercial to somebody the other day, and they said, oh, so you were one of those car guys. I said, oh, yeah, because I've got about 12 years of videos or commercials just like that, if you ever want to, because most of them are on YouTube still. Um, but it's really interesting when people ask you, what, what did you do before pastoral ministry? And you say, man, I, I sold cars. Because who instantly starts thinking used car salesman? And that's the farthest thing from a Christian, right? And so it's interesting when people ask me that or they ask me what I did before Kansas City. But there's also another impression that people have when you think of a car dealership and a car dealership family. I had somebody ask me one time, they said, so what'd you do before you came to Kansas City? And I gave him a little background and, and gave him my profession. He was like, oh, you come from a wealthy family. And I kind of raised my eyebrows and he looked at me and he said, so what would cause you to go from being in a wealthy family business to being a pastor? Like what radical transformation happened in your life that would cause you to make that decision? And so this morning, we're going to dig a little bit more into my personal testimony as we stay in our sermon series, that label doesn't fit me anymore. And we're going to talk about what does it take for a, a very self-sufficient, you know, quite honestly, wealthy, successful businessman to leave the business world and everything that he had to follow Jesus into service. And so the label that we're going to talk about this morning is that label of master, master. And, and really, we're going to focus on what does it mean to be a master who's in control of your own world? See, as a society, we like to be in control. We like to feel like we have control of our destiny, control of our outcome. We feel like we control our successes. We feel like we want to be a master of our own world, and we want to determine our own fate. We're like a master of the kingdom. And so I come across this quote one day. It's, it's by an author. His name's Napoleon Hill. And he says, you are the master of your destiny. You can influence, direct, and control your own environment. You can make your life what you want it to be. And I think, unfortunately, this is the way that our world works. We feel like we're in control of everything. But not only that, we're built to honor and respect and idolize people of high achievement, of success, of material wealth, and so we spend much of our lives trying to prove ourselves through these types of things. And so we think that we can make our life be anything that we want it to be. We actually feel like we possess the keys to unlocking our own best life. And the problem is, is that this can be very deceptive and, and misleading because we believe that worldly success and, mere, uh, and material possessions actually will translate into fulfillment and into freedom. And so we convince ourselves that it's up to us to earn our happiness. But what we find in the process is the more that we acquire and the more success that we have, we actually end up more empty in the process. And so this morning we're going to attack we're going to attack this label of master and what it means to be a master of our own world because we're going to find that there's more freedom and fulfillment being a servant in God's kingdom than being a master of our own 
world. And so this, trans, this transition of, of labels from master to servant is largely the story of my own life. It's, it's really my testimony. I was, I was someone who felt like I was in complete control of my life. I felt like I was in control of my destiny. I had everything that I wanted, quite honestly, at, at my disposal. I was a business owner. I had multiple businesses. I owned multiple assets. I was financially secure. I had worked hard. I had earned my way to a very good life. But over the course of years, God really transformed my, my life, and I found out that I was actually more fulfilled being in service to a king than I was being a master of my kingdom. And so there's this guy in the Old Testament. His name was Elisha. And so he's out one day, and he's plowing his family fields, and along comes the prophet Elijah. So we have Elisha in the fields. We have Elijah, the prophet. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 19, it says that Elijah cast his cloak on Elisha. And so your version may say, cast cloak, put a cloak around the shoulders, put a mantle on him. It all symbolizes a call into ministry. And so if you know the story, Elisha immediately slaughters his oxen. He takes his plow and he breaks it down and lights it on fire. He cooks his oxen over the open flame, serves the meal to his friends and his family, and he turns around and follows Elijah. And so when he was called into ministry, the first thing he did was he destroyed his means of financial income. He left the comfort of his family, his home, what was safe and secure to him to follow Elijah into ministry for God. And this is very similar to, to what I experienced. When, when um, I got called into ministry, I turned and walked away from everything. I, you know, Jesus really transformed my heart and he changed my desire from seeking my own things in this world to serving him. And when I did that, I found my true value and I found my purpose in life. And so there's another person um, in the Bible that I really resonate with quite a bit, and we're going to dig into this more this morning, and that's the Apostle Paul. He essentially also went from being a master of his own world to being a servant to God, because titles and accomplishments were what defined him before he encountered Jesus. He stood firm on his pedigree. He talked a lot about his accomplishments. He even counted the persecution of the church his going after Christians and making sure that they were persecuted against and killed was a feather in his cap. It was, like a, it was like a trophy he put on his mantle. And so this title of master would have been a very good one in his former life. This is who Paul was. But when he encountered Jesus on that road, it changed everything. And scripture actually says that he counted it all for loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Kind of like that song we sing. You know, we count everything as loss as we survey the cross. And so he went from this label of master to the label of servant. And so we're going to start this morning in Philippians 3. So if you have your Bibles with you and you want to open to Philippians 3, or if you got it electronically, we'll start at Philippians 3, or we will put the verses on, on the screen for you. But we're going to see what, what Paul does here, where he labels all these characteristics and criteria has and how he considers that as he transformed his life. So starting in Philippians 3, 4, it says, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so let me set the context here a little bit. What Paul is writing about is that there's people out there who are questioning his uh, qualifications. And so he's laying out this criteria to show that he has authority to stand in this position. And this is an amazing pedigree, especially for this age. He's actually proving his worth based on inherited titles he got because of his family and his bloodline, but also talking about accomplishments that he had achieved on his own. And so the first four things that he talks about here are the things that, that proved him as privileged um, according to his Jewish ancestry. There were things he was born into that he was quite proud of. Then the last three, he talks about his own accomplishments. He talks about his membership of an elite group of spiritual leaders. He talks about the participation in the effort to defend Judaism. He talks about his perfection in obedience to the law. He actually counts himself as blameless, or some will say faultless. So when he portrays this this self-portrait of him, he's saying in the Jewish society, I check off every qualification that proves me great and excellent, just so you know. And so when you look at it from a human standpoint, this is really quite a list of personal assets. He was a member of the right family. He was a descendant of a pure uh, gene pool. He had knowledge through his education. He had influence among the people. He had it all. And that's what he's telling you. And so this is why I resonate with Paul, because I had a very similar list of credentials that, that I could boast in. I had several things that I was born into that I inherited because of my family name, because of who my parents were. And then along the way, there were even more that I accomplished through a lot of hard work and just this crazy pursuit and drive for success that I had in my mind. And so I've mentioned a few times I come from a car dealership family. Just to give you a little bit of background, my dad started selling cars in his 20s and we're in church. So no used car salesman jokes. I won't listen to him. I'm just joking. So my dad started as a car salesman. And then he, along with my mom back in 1969, I would say they came from a modest, maybe even a poor background. They purchased their first dealership and they purchased their second dealership in 1991. And if there was any indication of what my future was supposed to be, you had to look no further than my own name. Now it's Christian Alfred Rasmussen. Now that may not mean a lot, but when you look at my initials, they actually spell (laughs) C-A-R. I asked my parents for years if this was some kind of a sick joke that they played on me and they assured me it wasn't. But if you actually wanted to know if I was destined for the automotive uh, automotive business, all you had to do is look at my initials. They actually spell car. But you know, growing up in a car business family, there's a lot of labels that you get that had nothing to do with who I was. I got labeled as the rich kid, spoiled, wealthy, you know, I was born and raised with a silver spoon in my mouth. You think of the label, I, it was called and I heard it. And these had nothing to do with who I was. They were attached to me because of my mom and my dad and because of the family that I was born into. But you know what? When I was a kid, I'll tell you what, I had it made. I had it made. I was the master of my own world. Because growing up, I had privileges a lot of my friends never had. 
I could go into a drugstore. I could grab stuff off the shelf. I would just sign a piece of paper and I'd walk out. I remember going to the gas station, filling my tank full of gas, waving at the attendant and driving off. I would order food from restaurants. I would go pick it up, take the containers and walk out. I never paid for anything. I have no idea if it ever got paid. 30 years later, there may still be some outstanding tab that I owe in my hometown. I have no idea, but I never worried about it and nobody else ever worried about it because they knew my family. They knew who I was. They knew what my last name was and they knew that it would get covered. And so this is what it was like growing up in my environment. I was really the master of my own world and I didn't realize it, but this was all hung on who my parents were. Now I graduated from high school and I felt like it was my time to escape from my hometown, escape the community and, and really spread my wings and make my own name. And so while I was exiting from those titles that I had because of my family, I still maintained this idea of being a master of my own life. And so I went to college and I got a bachelor's degree from University of North Texas, who just knocked out Purdue as we talk March Madness, right? Anybody have North Texas? Probably not. So North Texas, I got my undergraduate degree, then I got a master's degree, then I went to the corporate world, then I climbed the corporate ladder of success quite rapidly, to be honest with you. And so this was great because I was starting to earn a lot of things on my own. And so this was my mentality. I had changed locations, but my mindset never changed at all. It just looked different this time around because now rather than living off of my family name, I started earning my own way to the top. And so I knew if I worked hard enough, I knew it. If I worked hard enough, I could accomplish anything that I wanted. And during this time, I had crazy lofty goals and I worked hard and I accomplished every single one of them. And so in 2003, I decided to move back to my hometown in Northwest Iowa and, and join my dad back in the family business. And man, you would have thought it was like the prodigal son had returned home. You know, my family had that impression. The town had that impression. You know, the Rasmussen kid was coming home and he was going to take over the business and he was going to take over the, the town. And the expectations were high. And I knew it and I felt it, but I embraced it. Because when I was coming home, I came home with a tremendous amount of success in my pocket. And so these weren't just titles because of who my parents were. These were titles that I had earned on my own. And so just like Paul, he talks about these things that he inherited because of his family, but then he capitalizes and said, these are things that I inherited as well because of what I achieved. And so within three years of being home, we actually had built one of the most successful Ford dealership networks in our area. We were in the top 10 in profit margins of the whole area. And this included metropolitan dealers. And I don't know if you've been to Northwest Iowa, but it's all small towns. So we were in a small town, two small town dealerships, and we were actually out profiting big dealers. We were actually making more money than we thought these businesses could ever make. I remember one time looking, and after the first quarter, so the first three months of the year, January, February, March, we had actually made more money in that quarter than we had the previous five years combined. So we were amazingly successful. And it started getting noticed. If I haven't told you what well, you saw in the commercial, we were Ford dealers. So I started getting calls from Ford execs and Ford credit uh, uh, managers congratulating me on a successful business. I remember I was out of town one day and I came home late and, and I go into my office and there's a, a senior official from Ford credit sitting in my office. And I was like, uh, what are you doing here? And he was like, hey, I just wanted to swing by and, and tell you how proud we are of your success. 
That's what was happening. And, you know, this was all about me and my hard work. At least that's what I thought. And so all my accomplishments, they kept gaining, you know, and I kept feeling better about myself. Um, But not only was the business doing well, I, I was serving on every board and committee in town. I led many of them, actually twice through a lot of times. Um, And, you know, unfortunately, I felt like a lot of rules didn't really apply to me. You know, if a door is marked closed, I walked through it. If an area was marked private, I sat there. Um, You know, doctors would be booked up for appointments and I always seemed to get in right away. I had this preferential treatment everywhere I went. And so similar to Paul here, if people were going to question my credentials, man, I could have listed them off for you. I, I had a list, multiple college degrees, check, successful business, check, wealth, check. Great reputation in the community, check. You know, it's really hard. I'll be honest with you. It's really hard to give a testimony like this because I don't like to be boastful. I had a great reputation in the community. I was friends with a lot of people. I was not arrogant. I was not really prideful, even though it sounds like it. And I actually had to call a couple of old friends and say, man, this is what I'm giving a sermon on. And they're like, Chris, it's your story. It's not boastful. It's, it's, it's presenting how God has changed you. And so this is really hard for me, but, but I did. I had this list and it felt good. I was successful, high achiever, accomplished, goal-oriented, affluent, wealthy, self-sufficient. That's just a portion of, the, portion of the list that I had here. But most of all, I was the master of my own world. And these labels in and of themselves, they're not bad labels, you know? The problem is, is that this is what we think defines a successful life. It's things that when we were young, These are the things that you strive for. But as we get older, they're the things we grip a hold of with white knuckles, trying not to let them get away because it's what we think defines our worth. The problem is, is these labels are hard to live up to. I've used this analogy before and and you'll probably hear me use it again. It was like being on a treadmill. Man, that belt was running underneath me and I was doing everything I could because I knew if I stopped, it was going to shoot me off the back because this is what defined me. This is where I found my worth. The problem was, is that there was no contentment. There was no fulfillment. There was no satisfaction. Nothing satisfied me. In my pursuit to conquer this world, I accomplished all these things and nothing ever satisfied me. And so now it's 2007 and man, I I just experienced this amazing awakening, this amazing awakening in my life. And it would redirect my whole life and it would would guide me down a a completely new path. And so turning back to Philippians 3, as as Paul talks about, you know, this pedigree that he had, he starts in, in verse seven, Philippians 3, verse seven. It says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as lost. For loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing wealth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So this word here in verse seven, that starts, but. It's set there to contrast everything that he had just talked about. He had just talked about how he was the elite of the elite. He was a privilege of the privilege. He was of a social class much higher than any other class that was out there. He was a master of his own world based on his family and his own achievements and credentials. 
but yet he, well, and he had considered himself incredibly wealthy, but in discovering Christ, he counted it all for loss. He actually says the surpassing wealth of knowing Jesus. So he's talking about all this wealth that he had, but knowing Jesus was a surpassing wealth to everything. And so his life showed this amazing transformation that occurred, this radical transformation that he had to know and follow, pursue and serve Jesus. And so, like I said, it was 2007. I walked into Summit Church in Alta, Iowa for the very first time. And um, after years of just living as a master of my own world, I was left weary. I was left searching for something. I had ran that treadmill for so long that I was just incredibly tired. And, and um, I had gained the whole world, but I'd really lost myself in the process. And so when we look at Luke 9, 25, it says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? See, I was spiritually empty at this time. I had everything that I'd ever wanted, but what, I mean, really, what had it actually gained me? See, what people don't realize is that because of this just crazy drive for success that I had and really this, this um, workaholic attitude that I had. I actually went through a very painful divorce. I suffered um, periods of loneliness. I had a lot of depression. I had anxiety. I suffered panic attacks frequently. And so from the outside, from the worldly view of definition of success, I had it all. But you know what? I really had nothing. I had nothing at all. And when I walked into that church for the first time, I felt this renewed joy and energy in my life. The people there were so welcoming and they were so encouraging. It was just incredible. And I'll tell you, I was scared to death at about 34, 35 years age, whatever I was, I was scared to death to walk through that door. I was scared to death. So if this is your first time visiting the church or you just started visiting or, or attending Discover, I know what it's like as a mid-30s adult to walk through that church door, and I was frightened to death. I didn't know if people were going to judge me. What would they say to me? How would they look at me? Would anybody even talk to me? Was I going to be on my own? Like all these things just circled through my head, and the people were absolutely amazing. It was awesome. But in my context, it was a little different because, like I said, everybody from the community knew me, and I was the last person that they ever expected to see in a church building. Because what did I need Christ for? Right? I had it all. What did I need Christ for? Because I had it all. At least that's what the perception was from those on the outside. And so I instantly just like started attending all these classes. I joined a small group. Um, I started asking questions of all the people. Man, I was hungry because I had this joy inside of me that I'd never had before. And I wanted to know what was this all about? And so it was about a month later after first walking through the doors that I accepted Jesus as my savior. And I just remember thinking that God gave his one and only son for me, a sinner. Like I had walked my whole entire life completely independent of God. He was no consideration of anything because I was so focused on what I could achieve in this world that eternity and heaven and hell and stuff like that, like it wasn't even in my realm. 
I was so focused on being a controlling factor in my own life and being a master of my own world that it never even rated in there. I remember in college, someone actually asked me, they said, on a scale or on a ranking from one to 10, where would you rank Jesus? And I said, an 11. Man, it could have been 150 or 1,050. It didn't matter. The point was, is that up until that point in my life and even after, Jesus had no bearing on anything that I was doing. I was seeking bigger and better things. At least that's what I thought. But then I realized that even when I didn't think I needed him, Jesus died on a cross for me. And that fact, it it broke me and it completely saved me at the same time. It was the first time that I felt fulfilled. It was the first time that I felt whole. It was the first time that I was satisfied. I felt free. I realized that all these things I had been chasing my whole entire life were for nothing. Like they would fill this hole inside of me for just a short period and then they were gone. And so I was always chasing something else and something else and something else. And when I experienced this awakening, I can tell you, I started looking at my life different. I started looking at the world different. I started changing how I acted and what I did and who I hung out with. This was the time that Michelle and I started dating and we were actually, and we ended up getting married. And so much like Paul, that after this conversion that I had, I started realizing that all my advantages of my family all the advantages of the business, all the advantages of all my accomplishments, that they really added all up to nothing. They were just one overwhelming loss. And so I learned that a faith in Jesus actually looks away from self-achievement and it looks to Christ for fulfillment. And this is a really hard message for those of us that are high achievers. I mean, I'm still a high achiever to this day, but it's really hard because this is what we seek. We seek reward. We seek um, recognition with just an unbridled ambition. And so we want to be masters of our own world. And this requires us to release it and let it go. And it's extremely hard. But what we have to remember is that all of our impressive achievements in this world will never, ever, ever get us one step closer to heaven. And actually, the more that we acquire and the more that success we have in this world, many times will actually lead us away from Jesus because we're so focused on the world that why would we ever lean into him for anything? And so if we trust in our achievements, we may bring ourselves glory now, but we'll end up being spiritually bankrupt in the future. And so finding Jesus led to this just amazing awakening for me. It's an awakening that saved my life in so many different ways because I was on the path to this real destructive uh, track that you can go down to when you're, one, seeking all these different things, but two, when you have the financial resources to be able to do it. So my life prior to this time resembled a collision of the movies Animal House and Wall Street. So if you haven't seen the movies, I would not suggest you go out and watch either one of them. But if you have seen them and you place them together, that's what my life resembled. And it was only gonna get worse until I found Jesus. And then after that time, man, I just started changing everything because I had an amazing awakening. But what was interesting is the next few years, not only did I have this awakening, but I actually would change a lot and had this amazing calling to serve as well. 
And so we're going to look back at Luke 9 again, and we're going to back up a few verses where Jesus is actually asking his disciples to come after him. And so Luke 9, 23 through 25, it says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whomever would save his life will lose it, but whomever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And so when Christ was standing here and he's asking his disciples to come after him, he says it's three things. It says, deny himself. It means renouncing personal control of your own life. It means shedding that label of being a master of your own world. It means to take up your cross daily, which is a commitment that you know could suffer persecution. You know it could be people talking about you. You could be people turn their backs on you. And in their case, it even meant potentially death. And then it says, follow me. Follow the examples, follow the commands, following the teaching of Jesus. It means rejecting selfishness and submitting to Jesus in service. It means this idea of going from a master of your own world to being a servant in God's kingdom. And so over the next few years, I learned what it meant to serve people. I was placed in different uh, opportunities where I was able to support and encourage um, and just be there for them. And I, I, there's not enough words in the English language to explain the change that happened in my soul because I developed a love for people that I'd never had before. Like I truly, this point, love people. If you're going to serve in a pastor role, you have to love people. And I gained that. But not only did I want to be there for people and support them, encourage them and love them, but I wanted them to see Jesus as well, because I wanted them to find the same passion and joy and fulfillment that I had. And so my focus now was not on my achievement as much anymore. My focus was on people knowing Jesus. And so serving people is something that, that I started saying, I, I could do this for my life. And I could care less if I ever got paid one single dollar to do it because I was so happy and so in love with people. And the problem was, is I knew this would cost me everything. It would cost me in, in shedding a label and a persona that not only had I focused on my whole entire life, but it was something that had proved my worth my whole entire life. I was born with this just amazing mindset that was focused on achievement and personal desires. That was what was in me at the very beginning. And this would cause a major drastic change in my life. It would mean relinquishing control of everything that I held on to for years in following Jesus with reckless abandon. But in serving I actually found fulfillment. I found joy, contentment, um, satisfaction. I found happiness. Man, I had been ch chasing these things my whole entire life for, from everything in the world and I never found them. And then when I started serving Jesus and doing what he was calling me to do, that's when I found all of this and I felt whole and I felt good and I felt passion. And so in 2014, my wife and I, we took our first trip to Haiti. 
And as we're leaving Haiti, we, we looked at each other and we were like, you know what? We could really see ourselves living here one of these days. Like this is something that we could see. And so over the next couple of years, from 2014 to 2016, we took roughly six trips to Haiti. And it was in 2016, um, we had just returned home from a trip to Haiti with our family. And we had taken our kids there just to see what, what they thought of the country and, and if they had the same passion that we had. And, you know, we had fallen in love with the people. We had fallen in love with the culture. We had fallen in love with everything about it, but we fell in love with serving them. And so we had just returned home in October 4th of 2016, uh, Hurricane Matthew, a Category 4 hurricane, made landfall in the exact place where we had just been with our kids. We literally missed the hurricane by like three or four days. We had no knowledge that the hurricane was even coming in while we were there. And so this was a place we loved. And now we see this hurricane coming in and ripping apart an area that we were totally in love with. We, you know, we, we started thinking about it being destroyed and torn and battered. And we started thinking about all the people that we knew down there, all the orphans and all the people and, and how they were probably seeking shelter. And so we're sitting in my office and we're watching the information trickle in over the news and, and we're sending uh, messages out to people to try to figure out what's going on and, and how everybody are, is going down there. And, and uh, it was just, it was something that just wrecked us. You know, because when things happen like this in third world countries, like you'll have sympathy for them. But it was different for us because we knew these people. These people had faces and they had names and they had personalities. You know, these weren't just people that were random to us. These were friends of ours that we had served and we had loved. And so we were watching that day and we just kept thinking, why are we not there to help them? That's all that would run through our heads. See, we had everything that we had ever wanted. We had um, everything at our fingertips. We were in control of our lives. We had assets. We had material wealth. We had businesses. We had, we had it all. We had everything that we wanted at our disposal because we were masters of our own world. And yet at that point in time, we felt like we were helpless in serving the kingdom. And we just never, ever wanted to feel that way ever again. And so now don't get me wrong because, you know, we were Christians. We accepted Christ. We had salvation. I was comfortable with my place in eternity and in that I was going to heaven. I had had this awakening, but I didn't have this call to serve yet. And that's what this was, is that we were still gripping a hold of everything that was in this world. We were Christians, but yet we were white knuckling everything to make sure that this world did not go away from us. In that moment, we were just absolutely wrecked. And so it was a day or so later, I went home for lunch and, and we had this kind of island in our, in our uh, kitchen and Michelle was at the end of the island and, and I look and she had tears in her eyes and she slid me this card. I still have the card with me to this day. And I know it's hard for you guys to see, but I'll put a cover of the card um, up on the screen and so this is what the first part of it says. And on the inside, this is what the card said to me. It said, whatever he's planning, I'm in. Let's go. And it was at that exact moment, at 45 years of age, that 
we made probably the worst financial decision of our life. We decided to walk away from everything. We decided to walk away from everything that we owned. We decided to walk away from every label that had always defined our worth. We walked away from everything that was safe, secure, and comfortable. We decided at that moment to walk away from being a master of our own world to being a servant for God. And so we sold almost everything we owned and we used the money to go to Haiti to live as full-time missionaries. So we went from living in this large house overlooking the lake to living in a home in Haiti that had no running water and very limited electricity. We went from having a, I'll call it a strong six-figure salary and then some, to being completely dependent on God to provide for financial donations. Like I said, I was in the car business, man. I had hundreds of cars every day I could walk out and just drive. And we went from having vehicles at our disposal to needing to borrow vehicles when we were back in the United States so that we could get around. We went from having multiple perks, perks that we didn't even know what to do with because we had too many, to needing to save for either, even the basic necessities of our kids. And so just like I talked about Elisha at the beginning in the Old Testament, when the calling of ministry came, he literally broke down his plow and burned it. He slaughtered his oxen. He got rid of every means of financial income that he had and followed the prophet Elijah into ministry. And so when the ministry calling came for us, I slaughtered my oxen. I broke down and I burned my plow and I followed Jesus as his servant, counting everything as loss for the surpassing wealth of knowing Jesus, because I found that there is more freedom and fulfillment being a servant in God's kingdom than there is being a master in your own world. And so people will ask me, man, was it hard to give up everything? Yeah, it was hard. It was really hard. We lost a lot. Like we've lost more than we can ever explain. And we lost and gave up more than what people can even comprehend. But in being a servant for Jesus, I found and gained freedom. I gained fulfillment. I gained contentment. I gained joy and peace. And I found a purpose. Man, I found a love for my family I didn't think I could ever have. I found a love for my wife I didn't think I'd ever have. I found a love for people that I didn't think I could ever have with the mentality that I had as a kid and as a young adult. And so now, rather than living for myself um, in, in a desire for myself, I live for a desire for others. And now I had a desire for sacrifice and not for accumulation. And the thing is, is this is my story. This is my testimony but it can be your testimony as well. This is not unique to me. This is something that God is calling from every single one of us. Take it from someone who's been there, done that, made that transformation, who released that label of being a master to gaining a label of servant. Man, I know there's things in our own lives that we're still gripping a hold of. There's things that are in your lives that 
that you think are proving or satisfying your worth. I don't, I don't know what it could be. It could be your careers. It could be your work. It could be maybe a gift or a talent or ability that you have. It could be maybe your own desire for success. Maybe it's financial resources. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your kids. I, I don't know what it is, but you're gripping a hold of something that you think is proving your worth. You may have had this amazing awakening, but have you had this amazing calling? Have you realized what's there? Because I guarantee you, you will find more freedom in fulfillment releasing that than you think you will by gaining your worth through it. And so whatever is God is, is asking you to release today, I just really encourage you to wrestle with that, to release control of that, to go from that label of master to servant. Because I don't know what it is. I mean, every one of us has a different barrier. What's, what's going to be a hindrance for one is not for others. And, and what's a barrier to you in releasing that is, is going to be different than someone else. But whatever it is, you know what it is and you sense it in God is placing it on your heart. And I believe, based on my testimony and what I found, I believe God wants you also to release that label of being a master of your own world and finding freedom and fulfillment in service in his kingdom. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, Text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.